Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme Tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you too. All right, welcome everyone. I am really happy today that we have another really awesome guest speaker. Today we have Dr. Ana Guerrero, who will be discussing the topic of networking and conferencing 101. And as I usually do, I'll begin by reading her bio. Dr. Ana is a PhD graduate from the UC Santa Barbara Department of Education, where she conducted longitudinal research on the narratives of first-gen Latinx students' college and career aspirations, development, and identity development. She received her bachelor's degree in sociology from UC Berkeley and her master's degree in education from UC Santa Barbara. Ana has supported first-gen high school students and their families. Uh, in preparing and applying to college in both English and Spanish. She has also worked with HSI initiatives supporting first-gen college students' college transition and grad school preparation, while also supporting transfer students' transition to the research university at UCSB. Anna's professional, academic, and personal experiences inform her commitment to advocate and further equity and inclusion in higher ed especially in grad school. So welcome, welcome, Anna. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share a little bit about myself and my experiences with um, conferencing and networking. Yes, it makes a lot of sense to have you today. I mean, I, I, after reading your bio, I'm like, yeah, this is like in line with the podcast. So happy to have mm -hmm. you here. And like you said, we'd love for you to share a little bit more about yourself, expand more on kind of what I read from your bio, your background. And also what led you to pursuing your doctoral program? Yeah, so I was born in Mexico. So we immigrated here at a young age, you know, grew up speaking, well, uh, both English and Spanish, but English is my second language, you know, took remedial English courses, also had the free and reduced lunch services throughout. So I have that um, experience that many immigrant students have. And I was actually not introduced to college until my senior year in high school because I moved to a different high school that had more resources. So there I was part of a college outreach program that provided college information, campus trips, tutoring, and college application support. So that was my first introduction to the college world, right? And I did apply. And I got into the uh, seven out of the eight four-year institutions that I applied to with the fee waiver. You know, there's four years. Nice. State. Yes. <laughs> However, since I was introduced to college such a later stage in my high school career, I wasn't quite there yet in terms of developing a college identity, a college-going identity. So uh, a lot of my peers also weren't going off to a four-year college after high school. So for me, it was a very like um, sudden decision that I would take that I didn't feel prepared for. So I ended up going to the local two-year college, Santa Barbara City College, along with my friends, along with my older brother. So that just felt safe, right? 
So when I was at Santa Barbara City College, I was introduced, you know, to more options that are out there because I, I'm a local from Santa Barbara, by the way. So then I had to, in my mind, UCSB is the school I wanted to go to for, um, you know, as an undergrad. But I wasn't introduced to anything else outside of this bubble. So was it goal, because you were from here that that's why you wanted to go to UCSB? Yeah, because oh. I was from here because I grew up surrounded by college students. I grew up in Goleta, um, near near. That's Ali, where I am right now. Oh, so that's where I grew up. That's, oh, how that's funny! Where I yeah. I spent a lot of my childhood so uh, in, in Goleta. So anyway, um, I was always surrounded by, by these college students, and my dad worked there. My dad worked at UCSB. Uh, as a gardener. So then um, it was just what I knew, right? But then when I was at two-year college at SBCC, I was introduced to more options, another world. And so that's when um, a transfer achievement program counselor, um, you know, really pushed me to look into more options. So anyway, I ended up going to Berkeley. However, that's far. That's far. <laughs> For a first-gen student, especially. And, and that was, I was the first one in my family to leave. I was the first one in my social circle to leave. Big deal. So yeah. it was very scary. There mm -hmm. were, you know, I was, I had a lot of uncertainty. I didn't quite yet was there with like, yes, I belong here. Um, so it took a lot out of me and it took a lot of support from people as well. But I was there and, um, you know, something that I always am mindful to share with people is that when you are a two-year college student, your goal for many of us is only to transfer and not quite prepare for life after college, which would be a career or graduate school, whatever it may be. So um, when you do transfer, then now we have two or three years to prepare for life after college while you are trying to adjust to that college culture. You come in running and it's really hard to really get involved in leadership opportunities and research, connect with faculty and prepare for life after college. It's just very overwhelming. So something I always like to share is to start preparing for life after college. If you're if you attend a two year college at the two year college, just start connecting to, with faculty, you know, start looking into um, what graduate school is and research opportunities. And um, it feels so far away too, I can imagine, you know, when you're it's, in the CC, it's, yeah. Ex exactly, it's, it's, a, it's a time where our focus is transferring and nothing else. But then once we do transfer, there's just very little time to get that together. So long story short, I, after Berkeley, I still didn't quite know what to do uh, because I was focusing on graduating. So. I took two years off and I worked. I came back to Santa Barbara and I worked. So from Can there- Can I ask you to follow up a little bit more on that? Because I've been getting a lot of folks asking about gap years. Uh -huh. And I think it would help to hear a little bit more from someone who has taken a gap year, like maybe like, you know, just, just a little bit like the benefits or yeah. the struggles, like the pros and the cons of your Definitely. experience taking uh, the, you said two years between. Yes. So for me, I, like I, I said, I was a transfer student, so it was very hard to really set myself up uh, personally. So um, I actually did take a uh, introduction to graduate school course at Berkeley. So that helped me learn about different programs, a master's, a difference between a master's versus a, a PhD um, and, you know, the UC system and the Cal State system or, or private institutions as well. 
So I had to take the gap years to really figure out what I wanted to do and learn a little bit more about what graduate school was, because at that point I still didn't know. Um, not many people I knew had gone to graduate school. It was only my professors and maybe my TAs. So then those two gap years, I worked a, at Santa Barbara City College. So I went back and, and worked there in a program for first college students. So I was then there talking to a lot of people, trying to just pull information from whoever I could. And my one of my supervisors there actually had just earned her PhD at UCSB. So she really introduced me to what um, I would be doing as a PhD student and how to apply and who to connect with. So she really encouraged me to reach out to a faculty member in education who then became my advisor. So that was my way to go was connect to someone, um, a faculty member and sharing my research interests with, with him and um, letting him know I was interested in who I was and, and you know what I've done. And so he was more than happy to take me in when I did apply. So that, that was my process, but I did have people help me with the statement of purpose. I did have people help me with the application process. So it was a community effort, um, but I did, need my, I did need my time. I needed my time after college where I'm not worrying about, you know, um, my finals and graduating, whatever that, you know, that entails. So I needed the extra time as a first gen students to really, students to really dig in and understand what the process was like and what I would be getting myself into too. <laughs> oh, that's really helpful to hear. Mm -hmm. um, I think it'll be helpful for a lot of the listeners too, because a lot of folks feel like they need that time off yeah. um, just because it's been such a whirlwind of the last 16 months or plus. Um, but then at the same time, there's, there's that anxiety of, well, how am I going to make the most of it? How am I going to maintain connections and still make sure that, I, that they hold themselves accountable to applying if they really want to go to grad school? So right. let's, um, I think it would be good to also talk about like, because you said you so you went to um, CC, then transferred to Berkeley, then took two years off, then applied to grad school. And I'm assuming that's when you got your master's and PhD at UCSB. So at some point you must have learned about conferences. <laughs> at what point did you learn about academic conferences? And what was that like? Because I'll tell you my first time going to a conference I don't think I realized what I got myself into until I was actually physically there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so conferences honestly were my favorite part of my whole graduate education um, journey because that is where I got to connect with people I admire, their work, people who I was reading in class about and just um, leaders in, in the community, you get to learn from them in person. So it was my all-time favorite so I did attend many conferences but yeah you're right you know they're they could be very intimidating because you're interacting with a lot of people who have been in a field for many years um and and they're professionals it's intimidating to present yourself as someone uh, you know like their 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 colleague or someone that you could um you know you, it's a give and take kind of relationship when when you're in conferences because not only are you learning and networking but you're also you know, reciprocating that to to others um, and sharing your work as well when when you present. But 
Um, do, did you, what do you mean about you not knowing what you got yourself into at conference? Well, so my first time going to a conference was in undergrad and it was because I was a Mellon May fellow and they took us to a uh, West oh. Coast regional conference. And so they're like, oh, you're going to go to a conference and you're going to present your work. And that's all I knew. And then when we actually okay. went, it was in, it was at Stanford and it was my first time getting on a plane and it was um, first time traveling without my family it was I didn't really know the proper like etiquette and decorum all of a sudden there's like fancy spoons and forks and knives (laughs) salad fork (laughs) I was like do you go inside out outside exactly a lot of things that I was like oh I I didn't know that we were gonna like I didn't even know about the concept of panels you know things like that Mm -hmm. it was all new like completely new and even in grad school, like it took a while for me to figure out the routine of, oh, there are national associations for every discipline and all of them have annual conferences and you have to figure out when their deadlines are. And then if the conference is on a certain time of year, you're probably applying six months in advance. Like all those things, it took me a while to figure it out. Yeah. And I wish someone would have told me like, because I was always very shy and didn't ask enough questions like from from the beginning this is what an academic conference is this is how they function this is when you generally apply and this is what's expected of you when you're there like I didn't get that one-on-one info yeah yeah Yeah, a lot of us don't a lot of first gens are kind of thrown in and we have to figure it out as we go so I had a similar you know experience in with going to conferences and and I you know I went to um, large national conferences so you're meeting people from all around the states, maybe even internationally, people are coming in from other, other countries that are um, in, in the discipline. So, you know, it's, it's just either they're a day or multi-day events where they're professionals and researchers that go and present their work, um, their practices, and, you know, you get to just learn the newest scholarship available and there are different formats that they present. So there's the oral presentations with the PowerPoint, right? And then there's the poster, poster presentation sessions where people have their research laid out a lot more visually in a poster. And there's several of them throughout a hall or a big conference room. And you, each um, person is there with their own research, open and willing to talk with people who are just walking around learning about research. So it's a lot more approachable in, in poster presentations. And um, usually those are easiest to get accepted to as well. And then, you know, there's the keynote speakers as well that you don't want to miss because usually they're very motivating and empowering. Um, there's also, you know, the, um, um, uh, the um, round tables with- That's what I was going to say. I'm trying to think yeah. of the other options, round tables. And, round and there's tables. something else that I'm blanking out on right now. Every discipline is different. Yeah. So, and every conference is different as well. But um, yeah, there's, those are a few different ways that people present their work um, through you know, reading highlights of their paper and, and roundtables. And they're organized by topics, right? And, and you all these different topics and presentations happen simultaneously. So then something that's very advisable is before you go to a conference is really make sure who will be there, what will be presented on, what day and what time and make your schedule. So you that's a good one. Hit, you know, you hit um, what you're there for. And yeah. so you, you need to know um, 
organize your schedule according to to what you are wanting to gain from you know the, the conference and so it's really identifying the people the, the topic like I said um, and the keynote speakers as well like I said don't miss that and just have that schedule well in advance so when you're there you just know where to go it, it's very chaotic there's people all over there's things going on simultaneously um, you know, it's very noisy. So to just to make it less stressful and a lot easier to navigate is going prepared with that schedule. Wearing comfortable shoes because you're going to be walking around for hours all day more than anything. And it could you most conferences may be three days um, from what I've experienced, um, the bigger national conferences, but there are others that are maybe two days or, or one day. But it's important to take comfortable shoes, um, maybe have business cards as well. I, as a graduate student, I took my business cards, handed them out. People handed theirs to me as well. You look professional and that's a way to stay connected as well with people. So those are, I mean, those are some tips that I, that I would give about conferencing and, um, you know, writing everything down as well, because you could be there sucking in a lot of things, but then once you go back home, and you forget most of it. So if you write, you know, as much down, I, I felt that was very helpful for me in order to review. Um, and, and after the conference as well is going back and discussing what I learned with my colleagues or classmates or anybody, just so I could kind of see how I can, what I learned apply to what I'm doing, what's the local context that, um, you know, but I am going, I mean, if I'm a grad student, so in my courses, you know, I can discuss those. Or if I'm going on behalf of my employer, same situation, bringing back ideas. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, just mm -hmm. to expand on that one thing that I didn't realize right away when going to conferences is like, one was that you create your own schedule. Um, early on, I, I would try to go to everything, and then I'd be completely drained. Or I've, I'm finding this happening with our students now because some of them are attending virtual conferences is they right. think, oh, I'm attending this virtual conference to present. So they think they only need to be there for their presentation time and that they don't have to attend everything else. And I'm like, no, the whole point of the conference is not just presenting, but networking. And so they're missing the whole second part of the conference that wasn't really a given for me when I when I attended my first you know couple of conferences I didn't realize wait I'm not just there to present and then I'm done like I should actually go out and meet people and have coffee with them and talk to come up to them after their presentation those are again it wasn't like right away I didn't get the message and um, it wasn't until I was more experienced more advanced in graduate school that all of a sudden I'm like emailing people in advance before the conference to be like, let's meet up, let's do this, let's do that. Right. Um, but, um, you know, if I had known earlier on, then I think I would have tried to kind of better organize myself and then have a better experience, not be like completely drained from trying to do everything and not just show up for a presentation and miss out on a lot of opportunities. Yeah, because they're very exciting. There's, like I said, there's a lot going on and you're in a different city, in a different location. You wanna go out and explore. You don't wanna be indoors all day. So it's a good idea to have a good balance. And, and, and I think also, like I said, with your schedule, know when you can take one or two hours away from the conference and go recharge in your room because many times where you will be staying in the hotels are nearby the conferences. So, you know, take that time to recharge 
and come back fully, you know, um, energized so you can go and present yourself to people, introduce yourself to people, ask questions in conferences. So be very like interactive, but it, it, it is draining. So, you know, after conferences, what I'd like to do was go out and explore the city. I would just look at what was nearby and take off and then come back and sleep well, you know? And so the next day I'm fresh and ready to go again because it's, it's really easy to um, let the day go by without really taking as full advantage as, as we, we, we could have, right? If we knew, um, you know, what, what um, different presentations we, we, uh, we should attend, you know, just to, you know, somehow create a more um, holistic approach to the conference and, and how it relates to our work different ideas, meeting different people, other graduate students. So now that we're talking about meeting other people, I think it's a good, you know, segue to talk about networking. Yes, you read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, you know, the, yeah, huge. can you say more about that? So the importance, yes. how to network, what are the you benefits? Know, as students, we are unfortunately, you know, very disadvantaged in the sense that we don't come in with certain networks. We don't come in with certain information that we need to know to navigate, you know, higher education and, and grad school and specifically. So we need to do a lot of networking and networking in general is part of reaching your academic and career goals. It is what will get you to your end goal. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's vital to do it. And I'm an introvert. I'm not someone that is naturally open to going out to different people, Same. going up to different <laughs> people. So it took a lot of effort and a lot of stress and many failed attempts as well. Like I, I could be very awkward at times. Um, <laughs> but you know what? It's okay. Like, I think that we need to remind people that it's okay to have awkward moments and to put yourself out there and some will be great and some will and you're still better off for doing it yeah. yeah and and I think the more you do it the easier it becomes so it's just constantly putting yourself out there and making yourself visible to others because not only can you learn about opportunities you can you know find a new mentor but you can also give back right so it's going in with a mentality of not just going in with your own agenda, but how can I support that person as well? So it's generally being interested in what that person is saying and, you know, thinking of ways who you can connect them to, you know, maybe ways that you could collab with, with whatever they're, they're working on. But it is scary, you know, it is scary for me, at least personally, you know, I, like I said, I'm an introvert and going into, for example, the conferences, and seeing people that were looked very professional, they seemed like they they had it all together by the way they dressed, by the way they spoke. But that's not necessarily the case. I've learned, you know, uh, over the years, that's not necessarily the case. However, they just had more practice doing it, right? So going to conferences and and networking. But you're right, you know, when you were speaking about now the transition to the remote. Uh, the, the remote um, platforms that we have to navigate now. So that I think personally that opened up a world of opportunities to network for me because now, and I mean, one, people were just willing to talk to me and see how they could help when I reached out to them. 
and it was just easier to hop on a video call than yes. go to a physical location. <laughs> I know right? we're here on Zoom instead of meeting up in person. <laughs> right, right. I don't know if that would have happened, you yeah. know. And in prison, it, it's just it became a lot more accessible for people to to connect. So, you know, there's there's a lot of webinars, and in webinars, I think um, people will turn off their cameras are not helping themselves right to just really gain the most out of that experience so i really encourage people to turn on their cameras to be interacting so comment you know ask questions make themselves be visible so people you know remember them so then after the webinar many presenters offer their support and say i'm you know they say i'm more than happy to help anybody you know this is my email this is my contact information take that um, offer up and reach out to them almost immediately after the webinar and connect with them and say, uh, I was part of this webinar. I really enjoyed this. I could read with you on this, whatever it may be that you find a common ground with them. Um, follow up and, and say, thank you for offering to support, right? And so then that's holding them a little bit more accountable and, and see where that goes, see where that takes you. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, there are small little practices that can open up many opportunities for you. And it's the interesting thing that it's usually complete strangers that offer more opportunities than people that you may already know. So, you know, don't be afraid to just reach out webinars, LinkedIn, social media, you know, there, there's certain, um, graduate school in, in like informative pages or accounts that you could also, um, connect with people there. Um, you know, like I said, I'm a very timid person. I, and, and I worked on being more open and comfortable speaking with professionals in their field, experts in their field. And, you know, me myself now seeing as someone that can contribute as much as they can, right? Because we've obviously have earned that through schooling and through putting in the work. So it's kind of making sure you see yourself as someone that is just as valuable network to someone else as they are to you. So I think going in with that mindset was really helpful for me and being open to, to communicate with others. Yeah, but um, networking, like I said, it's, it's, it's what, we can't make it alone. Um, we need other people and nobody makes it alone. Um, no one does. So it's, it's always a matter of, of knocking on doors and and being yourself, you know, making sure that you make time for that um, networking. So you, you can insert, you know, you can add it to your schedule, your own calendar and say, this is the time I'm going to spend trying to either connect with new people or reconnect with old networks, because we don't know what opportunities that they may know of now, right? So if we reconnect with them, they will think of us, they will keep us in their mind um, to connect us to the opportunity or, um, mentorship I don't know what it may be I like that you said um that we can't make it alone because I think it's a good reminder especially for students who do struggle especially for those that like us may feel a little more introverted um another thing I just to add to this is um what what I tell students when they're struggling and I tell this to myself as well is if it if you don't like the term networking and if it feels too capitalistic or too uh, transactional or too like like oh I'm, I'm just gonna be like 
bothering someone is, is going back to what you said about it being kind of reciprocal and, and even thinking about it as a form of community building. Like I can't do this alone, but also like everybody else is trying to lift as they climb too. So thinking about it as you're part of this larger community, you're, you're adding yourself to that community and then thinking about like, okay, I'm going to also give back as I, as I learn. So it, when, for me, when I reframe it as community building, that helps me. That helps me think like, oh, I'm not just going to like go and contact Anna and be like, hey, can you come to my podcast and feel like oh, I'm just like, it's I'm not like taking advantage. It's right. a mutual reciprocal thing because I think this is a productive kind of helpful, useful thing that we're doing to help each other. You know, I get to showcase you, you get to share your knowledge. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just like, one-sided and that helps me otherwise I would have never reached out to you I'd have been like why would she want to talk to me <laughs> no you know? I completely agree and I love that I love that because many of these terms do have some sort of connotation that um, many times is a little bit off-putting um, like you were saying so thinking about it like community building you know like um, just generally meeting someone new and really um, not thinking of it as something extremely professional thing to do, but something very just personal, like I introduce yourself to someone, see where the conversation goes, finding that mutual, um, you know, um, just something that you can both relate to and, and then talk about what you're doing and who, you know, what your, what your goals are. And, and then they, they will too. And, and then, like you said, it's a lot of more, um, it takes off that pressure to, to go into say a conference and, and think, oh my goodness, I have to network and I have to talk to this and this person, but really think about it as just conversation. Taking um, the pressure off, that's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. I feel yeah. like you're already, I have two more questions for you, but you're already answering the second to last question, which is like about offering advice to first-gen students who are struggling themselves, struggling with like putting themselves out there um, maybe they feel very shy or introverted or they're intimidated or they've had a bad experience and they're discouraged. Like what else can we tell those students to kind of encourage and motivate them to put themselves out there and hopefully develop some good connections? Yeah, like I was saying, you know, I, I am a shy, timid person, actually, and it, like I said earlier, it's a matter of practice and not holding yourself to really high standards, just saying, you know what, I'm going to show up. This is my goal is to show up and meet people like that's it. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I need to create, like I was saying, create this um, network and, and contacts or else, um, you know, I'm missing out of good opportunities. No, it's just generally, you know, if there is someone you admire, know where they will be, <laughs> know what time and go up to them after they, so I'm referring to, to conferences or, or it could be, you know, webinars or it could even be on LinkedIn. It could be anywhere really. Anything is really a networking opportunity or community building opportunity. So it, it's really just not putting that pressure like we were saying and, and just go up and introduce yourself um, without that pressure and, 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 and see where it goes. But um, in, in its practice, like I, I keep saying, so, you know, do, it is important to step outside your comfort zone and to get yourself out there. But with time, it will get easier. With time, you won't feel as awkward as I did or as, you know, 
seeing them at a different level than I am. It somehow then became a lot more um, natural to me. It came more natural. So now I'm okay. I'm very comfortable going up to people and introducing myself and asking them questions where I'm generally interested. So one advice would be generally be interested in what they're saying. And, and ask questions, you know, <laughs> so right. not ask your questions and then be blank because you're thinking of your next question and not fully hear them. But be oh, fully, my gosh, that's present. a tough one. When you're nervous, it's hard to listen. But mm -hmm. listening is key. That's true. Yeah, Being fully present and listening to what they're saying and go from there and somehow inserting that one main question you had that was your, your goal, you know, of information. But, but make it not about you, you know, make it about them as well. So that's one tip. Um, and what was the other part of your, your question? Just like, you know, um, if they're struggling to put themselves out there because they're either shy or introverted or intimidated, or they had a bad experience that left them oh, discouraged. Right. So the buddy system helps, you know, find someone to be there with you and go up to someone or, you know, talk to someone about, um, I'm sorry, your friend about your goals and see if maybe they have interest in talking to this person as well. And so, you know, introduce yourself as a team. It's just kind of makes the, the, what is it? The stage fright a lot more manageable if you're there with someone instead of by yourself i used to do that i remember i like <laughs> we get together with a friend like usually the two of us were introverted we're like hey you want to talk to professor so-and-so and it's like this like big name scholar in the field and i was like okay right. let's go together so it's like somehow knowing you're there with the friend gives right. you that sense of like security and comfort exactly. like okay it's gonna be okay because my friend is there exactly exactly so that's really helpful for those of us that are a lot more shy and timid Another one is to do it through um, online. You know, it doesn't have to be in person. Like you could do it online uh, before an event and just introduce yourself. Oh, I'm really excited. Look forward to meeting you. So then when you do go and introduce yourself in person and they already are almost not expecting it, but in a way, ex yeah, expecting, um, you know, someone to come up to them um, and, and remember your, your email. So it's a lot, they're a lot more open and not so like, oh, so who are you? And like, you know, what's your question? They're already kind of um, prepared for that and, and are a lot more open to, to you when, when you do approach them. I feel like it's so different too from like when I was in undergrad and grad school because now you have technology and you have social media that you can use as a benefit, you know, whether it's like a Zoom meeting in advance, like you said, or following them on Twitter or whatever, you know, social media account you use that that person who you're trying to connect with may have a public profile. It's kind of nice to to right. to stay um, to stay like on top of what they're up to or connected in, in a different way. Yeah, right. And, and for those who have had bad experiences trying to build community, maybe that person, you know, somehow shut them down or was just not open to, to connecting with them or maybe never heard back, right? So I think it's important to remember that it's not you. This person is most likely going through a lot. They're juggling a lot. They're, um, you know, very, very busy and maybe responding to multiple responsibilities. So if they don't respond, feel free to send them a follow-up email. Um, you know, give them some time, maybe a week, but definitely I think um, 
reaching out because your email may have been buried under I don't know how many others. So um, you know, it, it, it's always good to to not leave things there, right? So so make sure you follow up. And remembering, like I said, like if it's if if this person was maybe not as engaging with you or not engaging as much in person, I think again it's always important to know that they're not professionals at building community as well. They're people and may be awkward themselves and maybe feel self-conscious themselves. Um, so it's always thinking about the other person's um, perspective and thinking like they're maybe exhausted and worn out and they just don't have that energy um, at that point in time to to make you feel, you know, welcomed or or, you know, wanting to to connect with you. I mean, not wanting to connect with you, but just feeling a little bit like um, shut you down in whatever sense that may be. So um, just remembering that they are people, but try again, you know, try again, maybe in the morning, the next day, or, or just follow up through, through email and maybe a different experience, but definitely don't ever think that um, bad net, uh, networking community building experiences are um, a reflection of you. There's just many, many factors taken into account when um, there are bad experiences and not everybody's different. You know, if one door does not open there, there are plenty of others to not knock on. So keep that in mind that there's tons of people more than happy to support and help other students. Um, but yeah, just don't take things personal. I think that's my biggest takeaway when it comes to that or yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I got that, the, the, the one, don't take it personally, but also something that I, I feel like the way that you're approaching it too is a compassionate approach towards someone right. maybe not being able to, to connect with you. Like it, instead of saying, oh, maybe I don't want to talk to that person because maybe they're just, they just, I don't know, they're not the right person for me. Or you're actually saying, actually, maybe they are busy. Maybe they're exhausted. Maybe they're depleted. Maybe their inbox is full. Maybe they're overextended. Like just thinking about it from that compassionate side and not taking it personally, that's great. I feel like that's a really useful strategy to use because sometimes that is true even for us. Like even like you as an individual, someone might reach out to you on the other end. Maybe you're trying to get a, a mentor for grad school or for your early career and then their high school is reaching out to you and maybe you are overextended. Like it works both ways. So that compassionate approach of always thinking about you never know what's going on on the other end of things like the pandemic taught us that like folks have had all kinds of emergencies and, and just not so great things happen that you never know what someone's going through. Um, yeah, I would say just keep that in mind. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like you said, there's more fish in the sea. So um, exactly. and one more thing I was going to add is preparation is key. So if you are someone that is a little bit intimidated um, with, with a person or, or, or just, you know, shy overall, preparing is going to help you tremendously. So have your three minute pitch, you know, who you are, what you do, what your goals are, have that very um, uh, strong one. So you don't, you know, somehow your mind goes blank when you're in front of them, like just make sure you, you practice it, you, you rehearse that it could be in the mirror, it could be with someone else. You can record yourself practicing as well and make sure you hit those key points that are important to you. Um, and, and like I said, present yourself, um, uh, you know, look sharp, you know, look, look. So it makes you feel more confident too. The way we, we do dress affects the way we carry ourselves. So that, that would help as well. I love that.
So we're getting ready to wrap up. My last question for you is, um, I would love for you to just share a little bit more about your IG account, First Gen Resilience, and also like, you know, what's the best way for others to reach you aside from that? So what is First Gen Resilience? And then also like for folks who really resonated with what you said today, how can they best reach you? Yes. All right. So this idea came to mind when I graduated with my PhD in December, right? I was you know, looking at the stats. Can I just say are, felicidades? Like, <laughs> I need that like reaction of thank like you, thank all you, the reactions. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it was tough. You know, it was during the pandemic. So there was no ceremony. You know, I didn't have a graduation party. So thank you for that clap. I, I appreciate that. So, you know, like, like I was sharing with you, a lot of my decisions um, were made with the information that was made available to me. There was no path laid out for me. I, I went as I... As, as I had, as I was receiving information. So um, that's why I'm such a big advocate of people having access to information and guidance because graduate school is not for everyone, right? So PhD, I did a PhD, it's not for everyone. However, I don't want people to not take up um, that opportunity because of lack of information, rather to make an informed decision with the information, with information. I feel like so, I could have said the exact same thing. I, I love that you're saying that. It's, it really isn't for everyone. And I'm not the type of person that wants to push higher education because I, I know from direct experience how toxic it can be. So right. it's, I'm like, it's not for everyone, but if, if you do want to do it, if you do need that as a stepping stone to the next thing, exactly, you should be able to access that information. Yes. Exactly. Keep going. It should be available to you. <laughs> yes. Right. So that's where First Gen Resilience came from. It's now that I have a lived experience, research the topic, and from my own practice, helping other undergraduates apply to graduate school is where this idea came from, where I would love to be a resource to others to provide information on what is graduate school? How do you pay for it? What are the skills that you need? You know, what, what, what is it that, um, what does it look like? So, so basically it, I offer, um, well, I do offer coaching for first-gen students as an undergraduate student and also for graduate students just navigating, you know, graduate school. And I offer bilingual coaching sessions to undergraduates. So I would work with their, with their families, right? That's so it's amazing. Not, it's, yeah. yeah, it is not supposed to be an isolating journey. And that was huge for me because for me, my journey was very isolating. And I wish my family had more understanding of what I was going through. So that's why I work with the families and provide the information as well in Spanish, right? So, and then I help others who are now preparing to go to graduate school as well. Um, you know, just choosing a program, the statement of purpose, funding. I did graduate debt-free. So that's, I think, another thing. That's another huge one. <laughs> Yeah, so bachelor's, amazing. you know that because I hustled, right? And so I know I know what it is like to be concerned about your finances and how you're going to pay. So, um, you know, I, I try to offer that support to others. So I also sell merch, right? So inspired by the first-gen experience, I sell shirts, tanks, t-shirts, and mugs um, and with, with phrases that 
helped me keep showing up day after I day. I love that. Yes. So that I share it with others. So what and kind so, of phrases? Let us know. <laughs> for example, um, one, one is I show up for myself, my family, and my community. Because as we were saying, these spaces are very not inclusive, right? And so many times we feel like we're not fully belonging there and we're not as valued as well. However, we have a lot of inner drive that makes us keep showing up day after day after day, right? No matter what our obstacles are. So that's one, I, I show up. And so you can have it in a mug or a shirt. <laughs> and another one, it, it's in Spanish. It's puedo con eso y más. You know, I can do that and more. Um, that's another phrase. Another one is, you know, it just says first gen resilience. So reminding yourself that you are resilient and you will get through this, you know, one way or another. Do networking, right? And go to conferences, learning more, getting your, the tools you need to reach your goals. So um, that's that. I have an Instagram account, which is firstgen underscore resilience. And then there is the link to my website where people can learn more about my coaching services and my online store, La Tiendita. Um, look through the merch I have there. I think they're really cute. Um, and can contact me through there as well. Um, you know, if they have any questions, I'm more than happy to to um, you know, answer and, and talk with, with anybody that, that would like that support. So like I was saying, if anybody offers support, take up on it, <laughs> take up on it. And you just don't know, you know the direction your life could, it, it could take you in life um, just by being very proactive. When I um, make the flyer for this um podcast episode I'm gonna make sure to tag you so that folks can yeah uh, you know find your little tiendita and support you and connect so yeah that's really exciting I'm gonna have to get myself my own shirt definitely <laughs> yes, yes. So, well I think that is all that wraps up this week's episode I want to thank you doctora Anna for joining us thank you thank you once again Thank you, Yvette, for inviting me. It was a pleasure to talk with you and catch up a little bit more and really, you know, dive into some of these topics that are very important for first-person students. And I always am also, you know, advocate for um, representation. So being visible to other first-person mm -hmm. students that you, we did it as women of yep. color, they can do it as well. You know, it's just a matter of really being proactive and, and sticking to it. But um, anyway. I, I was really happy to, to be here with you. Thank you. There a little bit. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you tune in. You can also support the podcast by donating to my Patreon page, Anchor page, or Venmo account, which is at Grad School Fem Touring. If you have questions or episode topics, you can contact me by sending me a DM on Instagram, sending me an email to gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com, sending me a voice message on Anchor, or sending me a message via my personal website at yvettemartinezvu.com. Until next time. <laughs>